Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to 90.3 KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. You know, I don't think I can possibly sum up uh, this week any better than uh, Frederick Chopin did. people were expecting at this point in time that we might be embroiled in a large legal battle taking place across this country as numerous states were being contested. That didn't happen. Yesterday, about noontime, John Kerry conceded the election to George W. Bush, noting that it was not possible to dig up enough votes in Ohio to possibly win. So it seems to a lot of people that uh, we got an election that did not result in a huge snafu. The uh, Wall Street responded by sending stock prices up. uh, And uh, in a lot of minds, it showed that the American political system is still functioning just fine. Well, here at Radio Parallax, we have our doubts. We've covered on this program on occasion after occasion our concerns about electronic voting. New Scientist magazine, the great British science uh, journal, noted last week that uh, the great American voting experiment would, uh, would commence here in, in November. Of course, it actually commenced in the 2002 elections as the Help America Vote Act was implemented to supposedly, supposedly protect the American public from more problems like we saw in Florida 2000. We haven't been the only ones concerned. The October 18th issue of Newsweek magazine had right on the cover, Will Your Vote Be Counted? How ballot glitches, legal fights, and terror scares could tarnish Election Day. All right, um, if you're not in a car, I would like you to take a moment now and go get yourself a pen and paper and just follow me. Follow me on the following. In the year 2000, George Bush and Al Gore were very close. Gore got just a few votes under 51 million, and Bush got about 50 and a half million. Now, uh, let's start with that, because as we know, people tend to vote in patterns, and that uh, we would expect that with a similar turnout this year, it might have gone quite similarly. 
Uh, that's a reasonable assumption. So let's start with out with Bush, 50.5, Gore, 51. Now, of course, between 2000 and 2004, some voters for either candidate would have passed away. Or, of course, uh, not voted. But they would be replaced by people who were uh, becoming of voting age or who were decided to uh, elected to, uh, to vote this time. Now, of course, that was a central issue on what happened on Tuesday. A lot of people, a lot of people came out to vote. It was the biggest voter turnout since the uh, highly contested election of 1968, which we've talked about on this program. A lot of people turned out. People took that to be an extremely good sign for John Kerry. That's a pundits of both sides of the political aisle. Republicans and Democrats agreed that a huge turnout was likely to benefit John Kerry. But let's go back to 50 and a half to 51 and figure that, let's call it a 2% natural increase from the year 2000. Of course, I mean, voter turnout is totally dependent on, on the race. But starting with that 2000 campaign, we would figure that you'd add about a million votes to either man based on the natural increase of the population. That puts us at Bush 51.5, Kerry 52. Now, Ralph Nader was less of a factor this time. He got two and a half million votes four years ago. He got less than half a million this time. Ralph Nader claims that he didn't take votes from either candidate, that people that vote for Ralph Nader wouldn't vote otherwise. There's probably some truth to that. Well, there probably isn't a lot of truth to Ralph Nader's claim that he robs equally from both major parties. It was clear in the year 2000 that he took far more votes from Al Gore than he did from George Bush. But let's take Ralph at his word and suggest that of the two million voters that didn't vote for him this time as they did in the year 2000, a half of them would have stayed home. But of the half that remains, let's just cut it in two and give a half million to both men. Still keeping score? Bush 52, Kerry 52.5 is what you'd start with. Now, they don't have 100% of the precincts reporting as yet, and uh, if you take the 99-plus percentage points they have now, add 1% of the numbers, this is what we come up with for Tuesday's election. Bush, 59.7. Kerry, 56.1. Now, if you've got your piece of paper in front of you, you can subtract 52, what we would expect, from 59.7 and come up with a net gain to George W. Bush of 7.7 million voters. On that same piece of paper, take your 56.1 for Kerry and subtract the 52.5. To note that John Kerry would have picked up 3.6 million votes on Tuesday over what would be expected. Now, right away, there seems to be a bit of a problem. By all accounts, John Kerry getting a good turnout, 15 million more over what voted in, in the year 2000, which is about what happened, would have expected to go very strongly for him. The exit polls on election day showed that the elections, especially uh, nationwide and in the key states of Ohio and Florida, were running to carry. So per our back-of-the-envelope calculations, out of the 11.3 million extra voters that we all know waited in line for many hours, who lined up early, who registered, who were driven to polls by people working very hard to make that happen all over the United States, that extra oomph that came in Tuesday's election went 68% to George W. Bush, 32% for John Kerry. Contrary to what all political pundits expected, what common sense would dictate, what the exit polls were seeming to be showing, 
and what rudimentary statistical analysis would predict as being likely. Now, if you, if you go back in and fudge the Ralph Nader factor and divide it, say, 60-40, you'll bump it up to 7.8 versus 3.5. That pushes W's total to nearly 70%. So we take a look back at this stack of papers, which is uh, in front of me right now, all of the articles we've amassed about the possibility of um, some computer skullduggery on Election Day and say, well, uh, it looks to me as though those were a bit prophetic. In fact, if I could, let me quote extensively from the Vanity Fair article, one of the, num- one of the numerous excellent articles on this very subject. This is Vanity Fair, April of this year. The article refers to Bev Harris, 52-year-old uh, journalist and a grandmother uh, who was quite an expert on the matter of direct recording electronic voting. After the 2002 elections, Bev Harris noticed discrepancies between advanced polls which showed Democratic candidates ahead, and final results, which had some Republicans winning with suspiciously wide margins. She, of course, was one of the people who looked into the the conflict of interests between voting machine people and the Republican Party. Her book on the subject, Black Box Voting, Ballot Tampering in the 21st Century, came out on this very topic. It was noted on this program and many others that Walden O'Dell, chairman and CEO of Debolt, one of the largest electronic voting machine manufacturers in the country, is also a Bush pioneer, meaning he raised at least $100,000 for the president's re-election campaign. In, the mid, uh, in mid-2003, he helped organize a fundraiser attended by Vice President Dick Cheney that brought in a further $600,000 to the GOP. A few months later, in 2003, Walden O'Dell called upon Ohio Republicans for even more money for the party, proclaiming his commitment to help, quote, Ohio deliver its electoral votes to the president next year, unquote. I hope you guys care about this. It doesn't seem that anybody seems to be paying much attention to this. No one is crying foul in this election. In fact, everyone's complimenting on how well it seems to have gone. I heard Gene Burns on KGO a couple nights ago talking about how, yes, things have gone quite splendidly in this election. Well... We have our doubts, if anybody cares. Now, I would call upon all of you out there who are, you know, uh, take more than an academic interest in this. In fact, I hope you, I hope you do take an academic and, uh, and personal interest in this matter. Will you please uh, confirm or deny the preliminary rumors I'm seeing posted on the web that uh, those exit polls stacked up against actual votes seem to be quite accurate in states where there is a paper trail, where there's verifiable voting. Whereas in the states and districts that did not have verifiable voting methods, it appears that uh, the exit polls were wrong. They appear to have underestimated the Bush final outcome by about 5%. Now, I haven't run these numbers myself, and uh, I'm quite certain that many of you out there and many good people are going to do that and uh, I would be very curious to see whether this holds up. As you recall, in the year 2002, there were numerous tight races that were suddenly resolved in favor, well, in six out of seven cases, for the GOP candidate. We're going to talk to some people in the, in the, voting, uh, in the voting field in the weeks to come, <laughs> if any of you care. And, and, I, and I hope that you do, because uh, 
I have a very bad feeling about what just transpired. I, I have a feeling that, uh, that the votes were counted the way people in, um, that manufacture the voting machines wanted them to be counted. And with, with everyone thinking this is splendid, there was a laudatory article in Scientific American uh, last month about how great electronic voting is. If everyone thinks it really is great, well then, there will certainly will be no public outcry to do anything about reforming this and making sure that we have a paper trail. And the problem is, though, even if you do have a paper trail, you expect a certain statistical variance to pop up. Let's just say, you know, let's say a state goes 55-45 for a candidate. Well, if you have a, a sampling of, uh, of, of um, paper receipts that you can check, you might find that it looks like it was 50-50. Well, a certain percentage point swing one way or the other is what you would expect statistically. It doesn't necessarily show up. So the idea that you might be able to uh, safely, you know, uh, in an undetected fashion, move 5% of the vote around with anybody being, without anyone being the wiser seems quite possible. Did it happen on Tuesday? We have our suspicions. I'm hoping that, again, you, the listenership, will pay attention to this issue, take a look at it, and see what you can find out. And don't be shy about mailing us at info at radioparallax.com and let us know what you find out. I think that uh, on the web, with uh, you know the number of people that are out there looking at this, someone is already posting some stuff on this. I, I just feel very, very badly about this. A lot of the pundits are noting how divided the United States appears to be between the blue states, of which we are one, and the red states. You know, I don't, e I don't even have the stomach at this juncture uh, to go through what we can logically expect from four more years of George W. Bush. But, um, you know, I'm old enough to remember what happened back in 1972 when Richard Nixon steamrolled George McGovern. Uh, interestingly, at that time, Dick Nixon, who spent most of his time in the Pacific apparently playing poker, criticized his uh, war hero... Uh, counterpart George McGovern, who had flown bomber missions over the European theater in World War II, as being kind of a wimp and a guy whose patriotism you really couldn't trust, who was likely to not be tough where he needed to be uh, as regards the you know the Vietnam War situation. Does this sound like a recurring theme to anyone out there? Something that kind of a winning formula that they seem to go back to every so often. We're going to get off this topic, I think, just kind of a few roundup items to, to end with. Um, we will come back to it because I think we must. You have to ask at this point, uh, with the assault that's taking place on our civil liberties and basically the fact that, you know, you're either with us or you're against us kind of attitude that seems to be taking over in the country. If you're critical of the administration, uh, there are those who would accuse you of, you know, basically aiding and abetting terrorism. Well, we still are glad that there is a First Amendment in this country that still seems to be functioning. We are going to voice uh, our loyal opposition to policies that we cannot agree with and hope that you will listen to us as we continue to do so. I, uh, I had a pretty bad moment uh, in about 3 a.m. yesterday morning when I woke up and just, you know, was wondering in my own mind, was that the last election we're ever going to have that's meaningful? Because if you can, um, if you can swing 5% of a vote, using electronic systems, and it's done in an undetectable fashion without any sort of means of verifying what your vote was, 
Well, uh, that would be a very, very bad development, and uh, I just fear that we are in exactly that circumstance. Would like to refer you back to the Ron Susskind article, New York Times, uh, October 17th, quoting Bruce Bartlett, domestic policy advisor to Ronald Reagan and treasury official for the first President Bush, told um, author Susskind that if Bush wins, there will be a civil war in the Republican Party starting on November 3rd. The nature of the conflict, as Bartlett, Bartlett sees it, the same one raging across much of the world, a battle between modernists and fundamentalists, pragmatists and true believers, religion and reason. I think we may also try and get Peter G. Peterson to return to the program. Mr. Peterson is the chairman. He's actually the, um, the chairman of the Council on Foreign Relations and is very critical of where the Republican Party has gone, saying this does not remind him of the Republican Party that uh, he uh, knew so well from the past, uh, as did a comment from uh, General Dwight Eisenhower's son, John. Um, anyway, let's, um, let's put that aside. We are not necessarily a political show. We do deal with history and politics and how it impinges on current events. But uh, let's talk about some science and technology in the, in the next couple segments. But uh, before I go, I would like to just wrap up with uh, this item that I did um, that I did talk about on Franz's show last Monday. Uh, article from the week, October 29th. Three Oregon school teachers were ejected from a Bush campaign rally and threatened with arrest for wearing T-shirts that said, "Protect our civil liberties." The women who had tickets for the event said they did not intend to cause a disruption. We chose this phrase specifically because we didn't think it would be offensive or degrading or obscene, said Tanya Long. And um, the fact that women wearing a t-shirt, wearing t-shirts that said protect our civil liberties at a, um, a Bush campaign rally, the fact that those women were threatened with arrest is why I'm pretty scared about what might happen in the next four years. On a slightly lighter note, I would note that um, for you, the listener, we did make an effort pre-election to send out emails to Senator Zell Miller of Georgia to clarify which weapon system he was referring to at the Republican convention when he said that Ronald Reagan had won the Cold War against the Soviets by coming up with a weapon system that caused them to collapse, and that John Kerry had voted against that weapon system. Now, we admitted on this program we were completely unaware of this weapon system and, and we're eager to find out more. Alas, the email we sent to Senator Miller's office was not responded to. Likewise, Pete Coors running in Colorado. Uh, Pete Coors lost on Tuesday. Pete Coors, uh, as a picture appeared in the New York Times about six months ago, incorrectly identified as a member of the Ku Klux Klan. A spokesman for the Coors campaign said, well, it could have been worse. He could have been misidentified as John Kerry. So we sent an email requesting more information from the Coors campaign about whether it was worse to be identified as John Kerry than to be identified as a KKK murderer. And again, unfortunately, we didn't receive any response. You're listening to Radio Parallax. And yes, this is... KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. And I'm your host, a somewhat subdued today, Douglas Everett. <laughs>